Howdy, hey, Randall K. Coming to you live from magnificent Middle Tennessee. How y'all doing? Alright, let me uh, dial up my volume mixer here so I can bring that music down just a little bit. Thanks for joining me this evening. And um, got some interesting things for you tonight uh, based on a post, well... I was inspired, you might say, not in a divine sense, but uh, motivated, I guess you would say, in the natural, uh, to approach this topic because of a post on LinkedIn, of all things. Uh, but before we get started, let me make sure that things are going out all right on the interwebs. Looks like we are indeed live on Facebook. Stream is good, YouTube going well there as well, and Twitch appears to be going well, good deal. Alright, so a couple of announcements, a little housekeeping, and then we'll get into it. Um, you see coming by there on the ticker there, scrolling by if you're watching the video, that you can text Bible News concatenated two words scrunched together Bible news to 33222 get updates like when the show's coming on um, uh, things uh, that are happening in daily disciples group on Facebook uh, occasionally some giveaways stuff like that so if you want to stay up to date on what's going on with the broadcast and the environs thereof uh, go ahead and send an SMS short message system uh, a text um, text Bible News to 33222. If you would like to be uh, held accountable for your Bible reading, uh, research shows that if you're in the scriptures at least four days a week, 20 minutes a day, that uh, it pays off big time spiritually. And that if you're in the Word less than four times a week, that uh, the believer is no is really not distinguishable from the unbeliever and the one who doesn't read the Bible. So to make sure you're doing this four times a week, 20 minutes a day, want to be held accountable to that, text Team Unstuck, again, all concatenated, Team Unstuck to 33222, and you can get on that list for uh, a text, a Bible accountability, Bible reading accountability. And then if you want to go a step further with that and be part of an interactive group rather than just text messaging, then go ahead and contact us at BibleNewsRadio.com. There's the contact page form you can fill out. It's, it's pretty basic, you know, just, just your name, email, and what your message is. And just put in that, hey, I want to be part of an interactive group. Uh, and that would be done via video conferencing. Um, a Bible reading accountability group and we'll see what we can do to get you plugged into one um, and those things uh, the expenses associated with that uh, those groups and uh, this broadcast and the software and everything we use and the internet uh, that's all funded by a non-profit Nonprofit, a nonprofit, Heart Tug International, and so at BibleNewsRadio.com, and we're working on a new site for Heart Tug, but 
go to BibleNewsRadio.com and choose the Give uh, option there in the menu. If you donate anything to the Furtherance of this Ministry, that is a tax-deductible, tax-deductible, I can speak, gift. And it will show up in whatever using, well, it's PayPal that you're using, but whatever method that you use to fund PayPal, you know, credit card or whatever, it will show up as a donation to Heart Tug International, which is a non-profit organization. All right, anything else I want to share? Just want to give a, um, just a shout out to those uh, watching live or on the replay. Um... Probably some birthdays and stuff that I'm missing, but I should stay up on top of that. Stacy Lynn, <laughs> I should ask her if she'd know this stuff. I do want to take a moment and pray for one of our daily disciples in the group, uh, one of the, our readers. Uh, Jerry, is uh, her father, is um, not in good health, and she's dealing with that, and and so I'm going to take a moment just to pray uh, for her in that situation. And please join me. Father God, we lift up Jerry to you and uh, her, her family and especially her father. As he's advanced in years and um, health is declining. Lord, uh, there's what we know in the natural of this human existence that is ultimately like a vapor. Your word says... Um, but yet, Lord, it, it's valuable to us, not as valuable as eternal life uh, that we will have uh, with you. Uh, but Lord, uh, in however many days, weeks, months they have left together, uh, pray that it would be a time of just not enjoying their earthly relationship, but uh, a heavenly relationship. Lord, uh, one that because they are uh, in Messiah, Lord, they would have a, a sweet fellowship and knowing that um, as time on earth draws uh, short and to a close for each of us, Lord, it is just a, it's a temporary goodbye. Uh, for those who are in Messiah, we'll... Uh, be together uh, forever uh, uh, with our Lord. And so I just commit that whole thing to you. Bring peace, uh, peace that passes understanding and comfort all around. Uh, just commit them both to you in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. All right. Uh, the... Um, the presentation, whatever you call it, this is Sunday and the scriptures I have for this evening. Oh, I was prompted, that's a word I should have used earlier, not inspired, motivated, but prompted uh, on the subject uh, by a LinkedIn post. I don't spend a whole lot of time on Facebook, zero time on TikTok, <laughs> almost nil on Instagram, as you can see by my Instagram feed, or my, you know, my posts, I'm going to sneeze, <laughs> you know. I post on Instagram twice a year, whether I need to or not. Uh, maybe once a year, I don't know. Uh, but as I'm trying to eke out a living in my professional life, I do spend, I'm on, I am on LinkedIn daily, seeing what's going on there. And uh, with 
3,000 some contacts and a lot of them that I've actually talked to met virtually, if not in person, and most of them from the greater Nashville area, um, because I try to get there and meet people and make connections and especially connect people together. So my favorite things to do is, you know, to hear of someone that's looking for, a, you know, butcher, baker, candlestick maker. And I'm like, ooh, I got somebody. I know a gal. I know a guy. Let me. Anyway, that's fun to do. And the bigger your network is, the more you can serve people that way, the more opportunities you have, the more resources you have uh, to connect with each other. So that's cool. Anyway. You didn't need to know that. Um, so that's anyway. That's why I'm on LinkedIn all the time. And someone had posted a photo of the Holy Bible, and uh, with a caption something like um, uh, "All the answers for mankind are here" or something like that. I don't remember exactly. And um, and I knew that was going to draw a lot of comments, good, bad, you know, everything in between. And I saw there were, um, when I saw it, was it, um, I don't know, maybe yesterday, Friday, I don't remember. But um, if it was yesterday, it was in the evening um, after 6 p.m. Because I observe a Sabbath from Friday 6 p.m. to Saturday 6 p.m. And so I stay off LinkedIn because that's a normal business thing. Six days you shall do your work and seventh rest. Um, so anyway, I can't remember if it was Friday afternoon or Saturday evening. Here it is Sunday evening. You think I'd remember. It doesn't matter. Um, anyway, so I look at that time, there were like 1,300 comments and I'm like, okay, this is going to draw some stuff. Um, LinkedIn is starting to turn into Facebook a little bit. Um, I mean, it used to be it was just a professional network and things related to business, you know, personal development, career development. Of course, the Holy Bible is about career development, and I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. In fact, when uh, there was a post and was asking about a mentor, you know, I, I put my comments, and you know, who's your mentor? I put Yeshua of Nazareth. Um, not Sarit, you know, uh, I put that in there. Um, but anyway, I, I just knew someone posting the Bibles that had all the answers. There would be people who would take issue with that. And a lot of the comments were related to, well, you know, you, you religious people, you know, and your God delusion, you know, how can you, how can you think that it's not logical? Uh, because, you know, look at all the suffering in the world. Look at all the evil in the world. There can't be a good God. And if, you know, that, that proves that there isn't a good God because of evil in the world. Well, there's nothing new under the sun. That's not, that's not, um, um, I'm looking at my mic level here and it seems like I'm kind of peeking out there, getting close to, well, it doesn't sound distorted in the phone. I hope it's not coming uh, distorted over the the interwebs there. Anyway, back to this post. Um, so a lot of the comments, the detractors were saying that basically there is no good God. 
um, that you know all the suffering in the world, all the evil proves that, and uh, you people are just willfully ignorant of of what's really real, and you know this whole God delusion thing going on. So I would like to address some of those. It was prompted. I I wasn't going to get into the conversation. I'd be happy to take that conversation offline, but any sort of heated debate, um, whatever it's on, I don't see LinkedIn as a place to do that. I mean, Facebook is what we know for <laughs> for mudslinging and and impassioned um, monologues and that sort of thing that we've all come to know and love. Um, so I want to keep those discussions for places like that. Anyway, so let me queue up my uh, slides here. Uh, make sure I've got the screen captured all right. Stand by, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Or, well... At least I'll share the slides with you. Because the slides help to keep me on track. Um, let me do that. Then, and then I'll take my face out of here. Boom. There we go. So. Here are my slides. Yeah, they are. And, um... Anyway, let's uh, get into this prayerfully. I'm going to take the first part of this presentation, I'm going to approach from a philosophical point of view, and then we're going to get biblical about it. After all, this is Sunday in the scriptures, right? We will get there. So you waiting, those of you waiting for the, uh, the biblical portion, have patience. Um, you know, we're going to go philosophical approach at first. And for those of you who um, think the Bible is bunk and, you know, just want to, uh, and waiting to, for the Bible to bring up, so go, ah, and pounce on it. That's, that's stupid. That's wrong. That's contradictory. That's whatever. You know, <laughs> we're going to take the philosophical approach first. So you also be patient before we get into the scriptures. But because we're getting into the scriptures, and I believe that it is a divinely inspired book, a divinely preserved book, and contains information about the nature of man, the nature of God, and the future of mankind, and the holiness of God, uh, I think it is a book worthy of reverence and therefore should be approached reverently in prayer, which I'm going to do. And then we'll get into this, um, whatever, this presentation. Father God, you are the Almighty God, worthy of all honor, glory, power, blessing, and praise. You are good, and you do good. And uh, you are the everlasting, the everlasting God. I pray as I go through this presentation that you would have your way, uh, that you would open hearts, you would open minds, speak to them, and um, 
that that the outcome would be greater than any of us uh, could ever do because you're the Almighty God. This time is yours to use as you will, as always, for our good, but mostly for your glory. I ask this in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. All right. My slides again. Whoops. Here we go. All right. Is God evil? Uh, the muddling of moral absolutes. And you'll see why I gave it that title as we go. All right. So what happens often is this question that you know these arguments that came up on this LinkedIn post that if if God is really good, there is a God and he really is good, then then come on, there we go. Then millions of people would have not have died in the Holocaust. A good God would have prevented that. Uh, if God is really good, there would be no earthquakes or fires or floods, etc. You know, name the natural disaster. If God is really good, then children wouldn't die of hunger, uh, you know, by the hundreds of thousands every year. If God is really good, there would be no cancer. If God is really good, then my grandmother wouldn't have died. If God is really good, then my life would be easier. And ultimately, if, if God is really good, then I would have what I want. That, that's why I can't believe that God is really good. Because the world isn't the way that I want it to be, or the way that I think it should be. So, does evil prove that God is not good? Well, 1 plus 1 does not equal 5, okay? <laughs> I'm, I'm convinced of that, that 1 plus 1 does not equal 5. Does because 1 plus 1 does not equal 5 mean that 1 plus 1 doesn't equal 2, or there's no such thing as 1 plus 1? What am I after? Falsehood isn't a thing. One plus one does not equal five just because one plus one doesn't equal five. One plus one, if I would say one plus one equals five, well, it doesn't. That's a nonsense statement. Why? Because one plus one equals two. Um, that's the case. If, if whether it's whether it's matchsticks, business cards, rolls of tape, whatever it is, you take two equal things, put them together. There are then you get then you get two things. Um, where did my clicker go? There we go. That you know x plus x equals two x. That's just a fact. It is not three x or five x. Um, Two equal things is two times whatever it is. And so, one plus one equals five 
is false because 1 plus 1 equals 2. X plus X equals 5X or 3X or 1.6X is false because X plus X equals 2X. Um, there's no such thing as falsehood as a standalone thing. Something is false because there is a truth. It negates something that is true. Uh, falsehood, falsehood isn't a thing unless there's a truth. Something can't be false unless something is true. Um, the existence of fall a falsehood means that there is a truth. Um, you'll see where I'm going with this. I hope. Similarly, yes, similarly, cold in various degrees is the absence of heat. We only know that there's cold. Cold is a thing because we know what heat is. Uh, there's a point, absolute zero, in which any matter, whatever it is, that there is no heat energy left in it. No more, normal, no more molecular activity is going on. That it, there is no more heat energy when something reaches absolute zero. There are all these degrees, be they Fahrenheit or Kelvin or Celsius, in which something lacks heat until the point it is at absolute zero. So if we take a piece of ice or something that's at absolute zero, ice is not absolute zero, I know that. Um, so I said or. Um, you know, we take something that's really cold, be it a cold piece of steel or frozen water or liquid nitrogen or something even colder. Um, those are all just varying degrees of the absence of heat. It doesn't mean there, heat doesn't exist. The very, um, the very, um, instance or the very the very state of something being cold is actually proof of the heat because the heat is missing to some degree and when we get to absolute zero all the heat is gone darkness you know dark is something we measure in terms of the lack of light you know, you just like heat, you take light away, whether it's heat generating light or not, um, you take that away in various degrees in, you know, dusk, dawn, you know, a poorly lit room, candlelight, whatever. You take all the light away and you end up with absolute darkness. Darkness isn't a thing of itself. It's not a standalone thing. It's something we measure as the absence of light. So, let me go back there. Um, can I go back? Yeah. So, so similarly, you know, 
evil is not a standalone thing. It's the absence of good. And I think we can all agree that some things are more evil than others. And we wouldn't have a concept of evil unless we had a concept of good. And some things are more evil than others. They're less good than others. Some, some actions, some people, some motives, some outcomes are less good, more evil. But something that's absolute evil, whatever you might perceive that to be, isn't proof that there isn't an absolute good. Uh, the very existence of an acknowledgement of evil acknowledges good. And why not an absolute good? If there can be an absolute cold, ab, you know, absolute absence of, of heat, there can be absolute darkness, complete absence of light, probably there's absolute evil. Of course, that would be with the complete absence of good. So what about the other? Is there, there's an absolute falsehood? Is there absolute truth? Well, yeah. Well, one plus one, that's an equals two. X plus X equals two X. Is there absolute heat? Probably. Um, fortunately, we've not discovered it. That's Theoretical, because that would be pretty dang hot. Uh, absolute light. Um, um, I think we experience it. Stuff like stars, like our own star, you know, the sun, you know, with its million candles per square inch is pretty bright, such that you can't even look at it without, uh, for any length of time, uh, without damage to your eyesight. Um, yeah, so why? So anyway, evil doesn't prove that there's no such thing as absolute good. It, in fact, the, the the existence of evil, if we call it that, is not a thing that exists. It's, it's the absence. You know, seeing evil as the absence of good, it establishes that there is a such thing as good. If If all things were evil all the time, you would have no concept or inclination that anything could be good or better because, anyway, not articulating it very well, but I hope you get the, the idea there. want to make sure that I'm not missing any comments out there on the interwebs. All right. Nothing in the chat rooms. I see people viewing. If you'd like to give, if you would like for me to give you a shout out, uh, just you know, hey, just drop something in the chat. Uh, let me know accordingly. All right, back to back to our slides here. Um, all right. So no, evil doesn't prove that God is not good. Evil just proves that there is good and that there likely is an absolute good. And 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 that absolute good very well could be in God. Anyway. 
See, mankind is evil. Mankind lack is is evil in varying degrees. Is is less good from a biblical standpoint. <laughs> man is not good as all at all. Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3, we read, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Why? Because because he doesn't say these things like, there is no heat, there is no light, there is no truth. Um, because even those material things, well, truth, that's an immaterial thing, really. Um, it doesn't have any problem uh saying that the lack of something uh, demonstrates that something else doesn't exist. Um, you know, no one's foolishness to say because, well, because there are falsehoods, there's no such thing as truth. Well, because there's darkness, there's no such thing as light. You know, because there's, you know, because there's uh, cold, there's no such thing as heat. But yet... Someone would say, well, because there's evil, there's no such thing as God. Well, it doesn't follow. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. From a from an heavenly perspective, there is none who does good. There's no one who measures up. And I could quote from Romans chapter three here. You know that that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right, so. Mankind has degrees of evil, not degrees of good, really, because from a biblical perspective, God is good, absolute good, and beside him are just degrees of evil. Being absolute good, just like there's absolute heat, whatever that might be, or, you know, absolute light, whatever that may be, we don't know. Um, but we do know what absolute darkness is. And we do know what absolute cold is, you know, absolute zero. And all those, all those degrees of cold, all those degrees of darkness are just, you know, lacking more and more heat, lacking more and more light. And so it's not that they are a certain thing, it's that they lack something. And so mankind has degrees of evil, not degrees of good, because everything from the absolute good is toward evil and degrees stepping toward evil. And I was reminded of this passage in Luke chapter 13. Uh, there were present at that season some who told him, that would be Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those eighteen on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them 
do you think that they were worse sinners than all other people who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, a couple of things here. Um, oh, man, my camera is jacked up here. Let me see if I can work on that. I will put the slide back up while I work on that. Well, no doubt that these guys were, um, the people speaking there were familiar with Pharisaic Judaism and kind of uh, just um, uh, sort of the uh, layman's knowledge. Uh, which we see a great deal of in the book of Job, which we're reading in uh, reading in the Daily Disciples group. Anyway, and that that idea that um, theology, if you will, is that bad things happen to bad people. Uh, so there's that at work uh, in their minds, probably. Um, but we, especially in the Western mindset, would typically think that, you know, we talk about innocent people, things that happen to innocent people, and um, that, wow, you know, this unfortunate thing happened. And coming from Messiah, it's, it's, uh, it's sobering that he asked, do you suppose these Galileans were worse sinners than all of the Galileans because they suffered such things? Um, or the 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? Is this, in both cases, no, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. That um, bad things happen, not, well, bad things do happen to bad people, but bad things don't happen to good people because there are no good people. Good things happen to bad people. Um, God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He makes his uh, makes the sun to rise on the just and the unjust. Um, good things happen to bad people, but never do bad things happen to good people because there aren't any good people. We're just all varying degrees of bad. We're all varying degrees of evil, not good. Some more evil than others, but actually not good, just degrees of evil. And and that is, I understand, the point of what Yeshua, what Jesus was saying, as well as the general... Um, the uh, general tenor of scripture that as we we're reading in Psalm Psalm 14 but in multiple other places in the scripture that there's none who does good all of sin and falls short of the glory of God uh, from a biblical from a divine perspective that mankind is varying degrees of evil not good at all now, now in this discussion and LinkedIn, I'll pop my face back on here. In this discussion, all the comments on this post of the picture of the Holy Bible, which is, you know, those are fighting words. If you post a photo of the Holy Bible, you're going to catch all sorts of flames. You know, it's just, it's controversial. The Bible, just a picture of a Bible. 
Um, I think if the poster had not even said anything about answers for life or whatever it was, it still would have drawn the ire of many. Um, uh, and we can look at court case after court case, and especially in the military, someone had a Bible on their desk, and that was offensive, and and just looking to cause fights because a Bible was shown in the open. Anyway, in these multiple comments on this post was one that like, oh uh, yeah, yeah, God is, you know, someone was saying, you know, start off with a basic, well, if, if there is a good God, why is there evil? Why is there suffering? And and someone answered similar questions uh, to, you know, uh, it's man who allows these things. It's man, men who have done these things one to another, etc. And then someone's got, ooh, 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 I've got it. I've, I've got the. I'll put the nail in your coffin now. I got this one for you. Here's this God ordained genocide in the Bible. This is your good God. First Samuel fifteen verses one through three. Samuel said to Saul. The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, hear the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts. And something half of my pasting, that Lord should be all caps. Anyway, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have, and do not spare them. But kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Now you're thinking, oh, well, he's right, you know. God, this is God, this is God ordered, God ordained genocide to, to kill these people, man, woman, infant, a nursing child, and all the animals too, ox, sheep, camel, donkey, all that they have, them and everything they have, do not spare them. Uh, I mean, what's what's with this? Uh, you know, for I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, what he did, he ambushed him on the way? Wait, wait a minute, God. Um, I don't know, see, see, your Bible's all full of contradictions there's this there's this loving god and there's this vengeful um vengeful god this disproportionate in his you know one place you know he says for you people an eye for an eye uh tooth for a tooth you know you're not to let your uh you're not to let your justice um your judicial system to mete out disproportionate judgments uh, you know, you insulted my sister, now we've got to burn your village down. Uh, anything like that. Not like Reuben and Simeon did um, there in Genesis when um, um, come on, um, Shechem, um, yeah, uh, you know, defiled, I guess, raped Dina, Dina, and her brothers, good, they come to defense, but they, with this lies of having the, all the men circumcised and while they were recovering, went and slew them all. 
and their father, Jacob, not too happy with that because it was it was wrong for them to do. Anyway, you know, so one, uh, so the God of the Bible puts out one judicial standard about just eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, none of this burn for burn, none of this um, disproportionate uh, retribution. Yet Amalek uh, ambushes Israel, come out of Egypt, and so women and children and animals are to be destroyed. Um, that seems inconsistent. That doesn't seem like a loving God. Aha, got you now. Smoking gun, you and your God is good. Well, to understand uh, this utter destruction of Amalek, we've got to rewind a little bit. Um... Let's go back to, there we go, the Amalekite conflict. Um, back to Exodus chapter 17, and there's been this war uh, when uh, the Israelites fought the Amalekites, uh, descendants of Amalek. Now there's an Amalek later, well no, this is... This is not later. This is this. Well, this is later than uh, Exodus. Is later than uh, the time of Esau. Um, so this is yeah, four hundred some years later. So there's these Amalekites that are perhaps the descendants of the Amalek that was uh, a descendant of Esau, and the Amalek that uh, God is instructing Saul through Samuel to go wipe out the Amalekites. Anyway, um, the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in a book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua and I will, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, the Lord is my banner. For he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So, this was this epic battle between the Israelites and, and, and the Amalekites. And, and there's this promise that, um, that, that the remembrance of Amalek would be blotted out from under heaven, and which Saul was given the, the charge to do, ultimately. But again, uh, this okay, we've got this thing going on from generation to generation. It still doesn't, and there goes, dang it. Yeah, the camera's being weird. All right, so what if we just skip the camera entirely, and we just go with, um, go with the slides from here on out? I want to, since I was distracted with the camera issue, I'm going to go pop over to... Uh, Chat rooms, make sure I'm not missing anything. All right. So what is this thing going on that God wants to utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven? Well, not totally because we still have this remembrance. We're reading and talking about it. Well, it was written for memorial in the book. Let's go back. Let's uh, again. 
looking at numbers. Um, now, after this battle, the uh, there was a representative from each of the twelve tribes of Israel that were sent out to. Uh, this would have been the second generation. Um, well, no, the prior to the second generation. This is why the the, the first generation wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because the spies went into the land. This report they brought back and the people didn't have faith to go into the land. Anyway, this deals with the report that the majority of the spies, 10 of them brought back as they did their reconnaissance and scouted out the land before entering into it, which that first generation did not do. Anyway, Numbers chapter 13 and I'm... Picked a couple of adjacent verses, 28, 29, 32, 33. I could do the whole thing, but it's long, and I just wanted to pick out the pertinent parts and that give us the, the gist of things. Anyway, nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Well, who are these the descendants of Nak? The Amalekites, dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. The land through which we have gone is spies, is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. And, yeah, I'm not going to switch back to me, so you got to look at that. Um, this we go on for a long time, and this is, this is sort of next-level stuff. It's not... Um, it's not important theology stuff. It doesn't relate to salvation at all. Um, these are just sort of extra credit sort of things. But if you go back to Genesis chapter 6 and we read about the, the Benecha Elohim, uh, the, the sons of God, as they were, which are uh, more... Or, more, um, or they're better <laughs> identified in the book of Job when the Bnei HaElohim appeared before God and Hasatan, Satan, was among them. Uh, there seemed to be angelic beings. And Genesis 6, we read about the Bnei HaElohim uh, taking for themselves wives from the daughter of men. And wait, 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 you're going to get into this thing that angels had sex with women? No. I'm going to say that. Um, I'm going to say that fallen angels did something, um, did something uh, with humans, whether that was uh, DNA splicing or, you know, with animals and humans, some kind of hybrids. They, they did something, but it specifically tells us uh, in the scriptures, from whatever happened in Genesis chapter 6, that there were a race of giants, the Anakim, the Rephaim, uh, etc., uh, the, that came out of whatever that was that happened. And so you'll see in scripture, as Joshua takes that second generation, 
into the promised land. There are some places where they just make war with the people and dispossess them, and in some cases, they're instructed to wipe them out entirely. Um, and you'll find this place where they saw the descendants of Anak, the Amalekites, in the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwelling in the mountains, and the Canaanites by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. Um, there we saw the giants. So these, these quasi-human whatever, um, you know, this is where these people dwelt that were the, that were the hybrid whatever they are. And, and this is where God instructed to wipe them out entirely. Um, because in my estimation, as I read the scriptures, they weren't entirely human. And lest they leave their remnants behind, even the animals. So who knows what was going on with the animals. Um, you know, there could have been some genetic manipulation with the animals going on there. That in these cases, the Lord instructs them to do away with every everything, everybody, and everything they have, um, because um, it's dangerous. It's, it's toxic stuff. So this isn't just God holding a grudge. Uh, this is about uh, actual welfare for the people moving into the land. Uh, they wouldn't be threatened by not only giants, but whatever uh, weird genetic stuff is going on there. All right. So, this God seems to be a lot of uh, misperceptions about him. Well, if God was really good then, well, he's a vengeance, you know, he's a... He's a, a god of disproportionate vengeance, this hot-headed god that, you know, rains fire and brimstone and, and orders genocide just because he feels like it sometimes. Well, Paul addressed this unknown god with um, the Greeks on Aragopagus, Mars Heel. And he tells them about the god that they had a, they had a they had a temple to the unknown God, and he makes the unknown God a little more clear to them. He told them, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own prophets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think of not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. 
Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given us assurance to this all by raising him from the dead. That one who is appointed uh, to judge the world in righteousness, uh, that uh, one to be the uh, to be the um, oh come on mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, the Messiah, uh, who represents both parties, God and man, uh, to bring them together. Um, this is that unknown God who commands now everywhere men to repent. Um, it's not that, again, not that mankind is basically good, but we're all varying degrees of evil. Uh, there's God who is absolute good, and everyone and everything else is varying degrees of evil away from God. Um, so mankind must be reconciled to God. So evil is the making of mankind, if we read in Isaiah. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor is his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. Therefore justice is far from us, nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light, but there is darkness, for brightness, but we walk in blackness. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as at twilight. We are as dead men in desolate places. So, why, why did millions die in the Holocaust? Why, why did children get cancer? Why did my grandmother die? Why isn't your life like you think it should be? Why are things difficult, etc.? Why is this? Why is this? Your iniquities have separated you from God. It's not that God is not good. Everyone has separated him by degrees of evil. Um... Therefore, justice is far from us, not because God isn't good, but because of our evil and the evil that we do to one another and propagate. Uh, righteousness doesn't overtake us because mankind is evil. We look for light, but there's darkness for brightness, but we walk in blackness. We grope for the wall like the blind. We stumble at noonday as a twilight. So, hey, where's God? What is this? If God is... Um, we've made our bed, and we're lying in it. So, what is the cry of your heart? Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. They're aware of the evil around. They're aware of the injustice around. They're aware of the unrighteousness, the iniquity uh, the backstabbing, the fighting, the lawlessness all around. 
But instead of saying, well, there is no God, look at all this injustice, look at all this suffering, look at all this pain, look at all this evil, there can't be a God. Their God isn't good. If he is, if he does exist, he's a, he's a menacing ogre. And, uh, um, or, or do you see, you look around and see the evil and the injustice, the unrighteousness, and you hunger and thirst for it. You want to see it. You want, you want righteousness to be established. You want justice to be established. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not complain because it's not there, but want it. They shall be filled. James tells us that every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes up down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. We are like, we blown about by every wind of idea and science and whatever, but God, there's no variation, shadow of turning. He doesn't, it's not emotionally charged and uh, etc. Stable, every good and every perfect gift. All the other stuff we see is, is of our own doing. Hebrews 11.6, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. Got to start, you can't go to a God that you don't think exists and say there is no God. Well, uh, it takes the enough faith to come. You must believe that he is if you're going to seek him. And must believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's not the mean troll up in the sky looking to throw lightning bolts at people, but looking to redeem people who will turn from their evil ways and turn toward him, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who recognize that good gifts and perfect gifts come from him, um, and have the faith to believe that he is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. All right, wrapping up here. God is good. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And for when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Of course, there's no such thing as a righteous man, but as we would judge righteous, well, he's a really good guy. You know, he's he's like feeds the poor, and you know, really, he's out there doing some really good good. He's less evil than most people. Um, but yet, would someone take a bullet for that guy? Uh, maybe one million or billion for scarcely for a righteous man will one die yet perhaps for a good man someone not we wouldn't consider righteous but you know a little better than some of us yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die you know so scarcely you're going to find someone to take a bullet for a righteous man how about for just a good man he's not as good as the righteous guy <laughs> forget it you know for perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Is God good? And when it comes to each other, what we consider 
righteous or good in our fellow man. You know, we... Uh, you're, you'll scarcely find someone to take a bullet for them or even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The word became flesh, dwelt among us. God took on human flesh um, to live the life that we could not live, live a righteous life, a sin-free life paid the penalty for our sins and as we turn to him with a hunger and thirst for righteousness by his spirit he gives us the power over sin increasingly as we get close to him away from evil close to good we have power over sin and eventually he has promised that whether he comes dang it there goes the camera again. I'll just put the slide back up. But whether we die tomorrow or the Lord comes back tomorrow, eventually we will be delivered from the very presence of sin. The very presence of evil will no longer be with us because we will be in the presence of absolute good. Not of varying degrees of evil, but absolute good. God is good. He just demonstrates it day by day. And he certainly ultimately demonstrated his goodness and love. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. All right. Well, we're uh, past the top of the hour. So, um, again, my camera <laughs> is messed up. So, I'm just going to keep the scripture up there. As I pray that the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you, lift up his countenance upon you, and give you peace. And may you, instead of complaining about the evil, complaining ultimately against God, that you would seek him, hunger and thirst for righteousness, and you'll be filled by diligently seeking after him that's where you'll find it that's where you'll find the righteousness and justice is in him in messiah all right good night god bless